0: this season, which is all about the coming of Jesus. And as we look back to his first coming when he came in a manger, in swaddling clothes, as the humble servant, we also anticipate and look forward to his second advent, which is just a Latin word for return, where he returns and comes as a conquering king, the king of all nations, the king of all peoples. And we long for that and we expect and we hope for that moment, and if you don't, I I hope today that something stirs in you so that in this season, um, more than the anticipation uh, for your favorite Christmas food or your anticipation for your favorite Christmas cookies, peanut butter balls for me, more than any of these things or the presents you get or the friends you get to see, you are thinking and longing for the coming of Jesus, the second coming of Jesus, and as you wait for that, that, that his spirit would, would come and fill you up, and you would experience his presence even now. That's what Advent is all about, and, and historically, throughout the history of the church, there have been these different types of longing that we've leaned into during the Advent season in the four weeks leading up to Christmas uh, This week is all about peace, leaning into the peace that Christ promises, the peace that he brings even now by his spirit, uh, and the peace that he will ultimately bring when he is the king of kings over all peoples and all nations, and war ceases, and tears dry up, and famine is no more, and all the things that we long for. We long for peace, right? Right? Don't we want peace? Doesn't everyone in our world want peace? If you meet somebody on the street and they tell you they don't want peace, then you know there's something wrong with them. You know that something deep down is broken. Am I right? They're either trying to sell, (laughs) they're either a military contractor and they're trying to sell weapons (laughs) or or they're just, there's something off. And we all want peace. Everyone in this city wants peace. The question is, Not do we want peace, do we long for peace, but the question is, what's missing? Is it some technology that we've yet to invent? Is it some political system that we haven't quite been smart enough to figure out, some economic principle? What is missing? What is that thing that's missing that keeps us from this longing that every human being has? Well, as we do when we can't figure out a question, the best place to turn is to the Word of God. He has given us answers to the questions that so baffle us. So if you've got a copy of the Scriptures, would you grab it? If you don't, there's some on the ends of your row. If you're sitting near the end, would you just just look down your row and see if somebody wants you to pass it down? And we're going to be in the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet. You can look him up in the table of contents, or you can Google Isaiah chapter 11, 11. Isaiah was a prophet and he was, he was preaching and speaking, delivering messages from God to the people of Israel in his time. This was a time before Jesus came, um, several hundred years before Jesus was on the scene. Isaiah was talking about the same thing, what's missing, where will peace come from? And he is predicting that a future king will come that can bring this kind of peace, but it's an unusual kind of king, and the king won't bring the peace in the ways that we think kings might bring peace. He's not just a great military strategist. He's, he's something different. He's, he's something altogether strange. And, and most people didn't even understand what Isaiah was talking about. He was talking about Jesus. And so when Jesus came on the scene, people missed it. They missed the king that Isaiah spoke of. So let's read Isaiah chapter 11. We're going to read verses 1 through 11 in totality, but we'll pause along the way as we're trying to understand what is Isaiah telling us we need for peace. Here we go. Isaiah 11 verse 1 says this. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Who's Jesse? Jesse is the father of David. King David was the greatest king in Israel's history, the one that we look back to uh, to say this is the closest human example of what the king should be. And so the stump of Jesse would be that remnant of the line of David. And out of that stump, that tree that had been cut down, will come another anointed king of god and the branch from his roots shall bear fruit and the spirit of the lord shall rest upon him and the spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and might the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the lord and his delight shall be in the fear of the lord he shall not judge by what his eyes see The next three verses paint for us a picture of peace perfected. Verse 6, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and the little child shall lead them. You see, even children can play with wild beasts because peace Is not just amongst human to human, but amongst human to the animal world and the ground no longer wars against us, but it bears the fruit that it's meant to bear when we work it just as God intended. It's just this beautiful picture of a child carrying wild beasts that could devour him or her, but yet they don't because we are in peace. Verse seven, the cow and the bear shall graze. That's beautiful. No more Chick-fil-A commercials. Love (laughs) Chick-fil-A. I got my friend from Atlanta here today. Love Chick-fil-A. But, you know, trying to save cows. We don't need those anymore because we're not doing that. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. That's beautiful. Are you picturing this? Are you seeing the picture of peace that he's painting the nursing child shall play over the hole of a cobra see this imagery and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den that's the viper's den they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain says god you have this picture you see it this is the picture of peace Does that not satisfy when you picture those things, this longing that you have for peace? Peace in all areas of life? It's beautiful. Now here's the question. How in the world do we get there? And this next word, this is the word that tips you off to now he's saying here's How it will happen. Here's how it will happen. And that word is for. How will this peace come to be? For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What do you think full means? 80%? 90%? No. 100%. It's completely full, just like the waters cover the sea. That is the way that the peace that we long for comes into our world. Strange. I don't see anything about technology. I don't see anything about governments. I don't see anything about economics. What do I see? That the knowledge of the Lord shall cover and fill the earth. That's the plan for peace that God gives to us. This is why we must never forget to prioritize evangelism. Evangelism is not coercion. It's not conversion by force. It is seeking to fill the entire earth with a knowledge of God. God. We are taking the good news and filling the earth with it. And so, if you've been at Sedaris long enough, you know we care about evangelism. Why? Well, for one, it's the greatest news that we've ever heard, and it's changed us, and it's given us internal peace, and it's given us freedom from sin, and it's given us a relationship with our creator God, and why wouldn't we want to tell people about that? But we also care about Peace. We also believe that it is the only way to create peace. Peace always and only flows when any space between becomes filled with the knowledge of God. And this works in a global sense. So if there is any nation or people group who does not have an accurate knowledge of who their creator God and redeeming Savior is, there will not be peace. And it happens on a very small individual level. If there are any two individuals that do not have the knowledge of God, filling the space between them, there will never be peace. Not in the way we long for it. You will not have a marriage like you long for if the space between you is not filled with the most accurate knowledge of God possible. Your friendship will not be what you long for it to be. Can I get an amen that your friendships are not what you long for them to be, that you know somewhere deep in your heart this could be even better. It's because that space between you is not filled with the accurate, clear knowledge of God. It's that simple. Fill that space between with the knowledge of God and you will experience a type of peace in your friendships, with your roommates, in your marriage that you didn't even think was possible. Not because you filled it with some scheme or plan of communication, but you filled it with a knowledge of God. That's what this is promising. And that knowledge has been broken. That knowledge has been accused. That knowledge has been distorted. That knowledge has been perverted. That knowledge has been... Outright burned up. And it's our job, because we have experienced the power of the gospel to create peace in our own lives, to refill the earth with the knowledge of God. Because we want peace for all people, for all nations. It's a beautiful promise. You say, I don't know, I mean, maybe there's some other ways that we can get that kind of peace that we long for. I'd say, sure, you, you can kind of fake your way 80% of the way, but I don't want 80% peace. I want 100% peace. That's what my heart longs for. 100% of the time I turn on the TV, there's not story of war, story of hatred, story of bigotry. I don't want 80%. I want 100% of the time I hear about children walking around with giant beasts. I mean, literally, we have movies about this kind of stuff, Right? How do we get there? We fill the earth, Isaiah says, with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now look at verse 10 and 11. He's given us the way. Now he says this is what will happen. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be Glorious. You see that resting place in the shadow of this root of Jesse? It is a resting place and it is glorious. And that's what we sing of, that's what we celebrate. Verse 11: In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time. Second time. To recover the remnant that remains of his people. Where are these people coming from? Clearly he's going to say from the nation of Israel. God's chosen people. Wait a minute. From Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. Wait, 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 what? I thought, Isaiah, you were one of our prophets talking about our God. What would you bring in all these people that create war? I thought God was going to strip them from the earth. Nope. The promise is when the knowledge of God, when we don't hold it to ourselves, but we let it flow, just like the waters of the sea, wherever God has designed it to flow, it will bring forth fruit and people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, and that is what will create peace. All peoples, all nations shall assemble around this root of Jesse. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. That's the picture of the kingdom of God, which we also call heaven. That's heaven coming to earth, the new heavens and the new earth. That's the future picture when Jesus comes a second time, when he will gather all of his people from all of the nations and create a kingdom that has true peace. Now imagine this for a moment. Imagine a heaven in which Many people have many different understandings of the knowledge of who this Jesus is, this root of Jesse. Just imagine it, because some of you probably wrestle with this idea. Why does it have to be just Jesus? Why is that so exclusive? Why is he the one that we need to worship? Why is it the knowledge of him that we need to pass around the world? Just imagine for a second, heaven filled with people who see Jesus and say all sorts of different things about him. Some like him, some worship him, some hate him for the things he's been associated with back in their time on earth. Just picture that. And picture me, someone who loves Jesus, who believes that Jesus died for my sin on the cross and has raised me up with him. Imagine me running into somebody who hates Jesus and starts slandering his name. How in the world am I supposed to hold my fist back when you're talking about my savior that way? Do you see this? How can we have a picture of a peaceful kingdom of God in which only some of the people believe Jesus is the root of Jesse, the savior, the redeemer, the king? That's not peace, that's more of the same. And so I say that just to say, What's happening here is really the only way to create lasting, eternal peace. And that's what we long for. That's what the Bible promises. But it has to be each and every person coming to an understanding of the knowledge of who God is. And the knowledge of who God is has been most manifest in the Messiah, who is Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom we worship at Christmas. So we have to come to that agreeing knowledge, and it will create peace. So turn with me, just in Isaiah, to chapter 52. Chapter 52 is now a further prediction from Isaiah of what this Messiah, this root of Jesse, will be like. Will be like. Now remember... Hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was born, these are the things predicted about this Messiah, this root of Jesse that would bring the kingdom of God in full. Chapter 52, verse 13 says this Behold, my servant shall act wisely, he shall be high and lifted up, and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at him, his appearance was so marred beyond semblance. And his form beyond that of the children of mankind. It was not a beautiful thing to admire is what Isaiah will say. He's saying, So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut up their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. You see that? That it is when the kings of the world see this Jesus coming for a second time, that their mouths will finally shut the things that they never heard. Now they understand. And that's what creates peace. But it's not because Jesus comes as some conquering king the first time he comes as a scarred beaten probably not overly attractive <laughs> jewish carpenter this was anticipated now let's keep reading verse 53 one of the greatest or chapter 53 one of the greatest chapters in all of the bible spend much time just pouring over this if you haven't if you haven't read it before who has believed And we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living? The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. If I hadn't told you that was in the Old Testament, wouldn't you think I was just reading you one of the epistles? one of the letters written after Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. This is who the prophet Isaiah said would come to rescue the world, to bring peace where there was no peace. And he would do it by offering himself as the peacemaker, being crushed by God, being afflicted, being pierced for our iniquity, our transgression, our sin, so that we could try again to love one another. But how in the world will that happen if only some of us believed that we needed that Savior? What's interesting is that in Romans, you can turn there, if you, can, you can just listen with me, Romans chapter 15, the Apostle Paul quotes Isaiah 52, 15. He quotes Isaiah 52, 15. Let me just read that for you one more time. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told of them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. Paul quotes that in Romans 15. Why is that so important? Of all the great things that were said in the passage that I just read, why that one? Because he's saying that longing for peace that you have only comes when people understand who the Messiah actually is, who Jesus actually is, and what he has actually done. When they understand that, they will drop their weapons. When they turn to him to worship, they can't do it with a sword in their hand. They must do it with open hands, pleading for God's mercy and forgiveness. So Paul says this in Romans 15:4. has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to be circ- uh, to the circumcised, that's to the Jews, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I shall praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles. He's quoting from the Old testament rejoice o O, gentiles with his people and again praise the lord all you gentiles and let all the peoples extol him and yet again isaiah says here it is the root of jesse will come even he who arises to rule the gentiles in him will the gentiles hope may the god of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the holy spirit you may abound in hope you see what he's saying Paul is saying, this Jesus is the one that will connect the whole world in peace. It's always been predicted, not just a Messiah for the Jewish people, but a Messiah for all people. And the Gentiles, when they hear and understand who this Messiah is and what he has done, will be brought together in peace, a peace that we cannot create on our own, that only can be created by the blood of Jesus, by his sacrifice, uniting us all in one common understanding and glorification of this God who would send his son to die for us. That's the way peace must come. And at this point you're saying, okay, I get it, but how am I supposed to convince those who do not already worship Jesus? (sighs) Great question. I've got an idea. (laughs) You, You knew I would. I've got an idea. Look again at Romans 15, verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you, and he's speaking to Christians, grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify God. What's God's plan for proving to the rest of the world that this is the way to peace? You're gonna hate this. It's us, the church. Here's the problem. The church has blown it, and we have not found harmony. And so the world looks, and when we say Peace comes when you all worship and glorify God with one voice. They say, "Doesn't work for you, why do you think it's going to work for us?" You see that? It's a shame. This is God's plan for proving the truth of what Isaiah prophesied that in Jesus all peoples would find harmony with one another. And it's in the church we are the lab of peace. We are the experiment. We are the ones that prove the theory. And so if we cannot find harmony, if we cannot find peace, how in the world will the world how in the world do we expect everyone outside to come to us for our solution to the problem? We shouldn't. We've got to find harmony within us. within community with other churches who preach and glorify Jesus Christ okay have I convinced you are you with me this is the lab this is where the experiment happens When we come to a common understanding and with one voice glorify the same Jesus as our only hope and Savior and Redeemer and the only way to forgiveness of a sin, not by our hard work or our righteousness, but by his righteousness and his hard work, only then will we find peace amongst us. And then the world will see, wow, there's more peace there than here. Maybe they've got something that we need to understand. So now you should ask this, okay, how do we find peace (laughs) and harmony within the church. Maybe you've left a church because there was no harmony and no peace. And maybe you're just coming back to the church now. Thank you for giving it another shot, for trying the experiment again. Here's probably what you didn't have in that church or that churches who have not had peace and harmony amongst one another have not had. These are the prerequisites for peace amongst us that will create in us a positive test for peace these are the things that you must have are you ready number one humility humility how do you get humility how do you get humility you just ask for it and you get it maybe Here's how I think it comes. When you become full of the knowledge of God. Why is that? What's interesting in the Greek word here in chapter 15 of Romans for harmony is a very interesting word. It actually means opinions and views. That's what the Greek word means. And we translate it harmony because it would sound weird. To live in such opinions and views with one another. And what is he saying? Shared opinions and views of one another, with one another. That's what harmony means. So for there to be harmony, we must have a similar view of God that creates humility. So if you, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as fellow human beings view God as your creator so far above you and beyond you, the giver of life the giver of design and direction, if you view that the same as me we're going to have a lot of peace because we're both going to be so humbled that God even allows us to live and breathe and move in his world I'm humbled by that because I have a similar view of God if we don't guess what? One of us might have humility, one might not. We're going to have conflict. You see how this works? These are the prerequisites for peace. Humility. The second is a lack of shame. No shame. Shame is one of the chief protagonists of war. Shame makes me act terribly towards my fellow man. Shame makes me act terribly towards my wife. Because what I do with my shame is I try to avoid it by putting on you shame. To bring you to my same level of shame. To make me feel better about myself. So all of us have this in our life. Some nagging sin that keeps creeping up in us. This doesn't mean that we're not saved by God. It means that we're human and we're trying to strip the old nature and put on the nature of Christ, the new nature. And we will have these sins that continue to creep up in our life and our hope is to put them to death, but they'll just keep creeping up. Now, all of us have that. I know that you do, so I know I'm speaking to people who believe me. Now, think about those sins. You are never more critical of other people in your life than when you are losing your battle with that sin. Can somebody say amen? You don't need to hide it. We are all experiencing it. Stop feeling shame for it. Start worshiping Christ and let him kill it for you. You see, it's happening right now that we can't even say amen. I have those sins that creep up. You see it? Shame is creating distance amongst us. Because we feel like we can't admit that we need Jesus. Why are we here worshiping him then? This is what shame does. And we are never more critical of others than when we are losing our battle with our own sin. Because we are feeling the shame. There is no condemnation in Christ. You must believe that. And you must Live a life without shame, and that comes through confession and repentance and acknowledging that without him, you are dead, but with him, you are alive. And if we all do that, imagine if we had the same view of that. Imagine if we all believed that truly. Guess what? We'd have a kind of peace that the world knows nothing of, because the world is filled with shame. And I believe in our culture, uh, now more than ever, shame is playing a primary role in driving us apart, we're using shame to try to improve our morality as a culture. To, to actually, it's working to some extent, but it's creating so much shame in us that we are now experiencing the pushback of that, which is a lack of peace. And we are experiencing more friction than ever before. So in the church, we get that there's no shame because we never save ourselves. We all believe. We have a common view. We have harmony and understanding that Jesus had to go and die and absorb our wrath. And we all believe that. So there's no shame. So we can have peace. The other thing that causes war and not peace is fear. So the prerequisite for peace in our midst is no fear. And fear is so connected to shame... Because shame is the fear of being found out. Now imagine if we could somehow put that fear to bed. Fear is a powerful motivator for war. What if I lose that thing? To them, i got to fight them. What if I lose my reputation? i got to protect it at all costs. By putting them down, by discrediting them. Fear drives us to war. So if we could be a place where perfect love casts out all fear, imagine the peace we could project and experience together. The third, fourth prerequisite uh, for peace is a lack of want. A lack of want. This doesn't mean that we don't have desires or long for things, or experience joy when we get things. But want is that part of you that is unsatisfied until you have it. And if you are finding, if you have a common view, if you are in harmony with the belief that in Jesus Christ you can be satisfied no matter what you do or don't have, if we truly get there as a church and we remove want, imagine the peace we could experience. And it's tied to this, the fifth prerequisite for peace. A lack of want will also help us create a lack of envy. Envy creates war. I want what you have, Kurt. I want that Volvo. Always wanted that Volvo. I want your wife. I want your husband. I want that house. I want your job. That's envy creeping up in you, and it makes you war against the people around you because you feel like if they have it, you can't. Christ gives himself freely to all, all people, all nations, and so there is no envy. If Christ is your greatest treasure... There's nothing keeping you from him. If somebody has him, that doesn't mean you can't. And so there is no envy in the people of God. What if we truly believed that, that he was the treasure, and we don't envy anyone because we can have freely given to us the greatest treasure of all? That would create a lack of envy. And that is a prerequisite for peace. Humility, no shame, no fear, no want, no envy could probably go on. These are the prerequisites that we, through our common understanding of who God is, when the knowledge of God fills our community and fills our hearts as individuals, it will create in us a kind of peace that proves, that is the lab, the experiment passes that says the knowledge of God filling the whole earth will create the peace that we desperately long for in our deepest core. Do you believe that? If you don't believe that that's how peace comes, you're not going to share the message. If you don't believe that the church is the lab that proves peace comes this way, you won't fight for harmony in this church, and I don't want you here. This is the hope of the world. This is the hope for peace. This is the only thing that will bring us to our heart's desire And it comes through one common refrain that Jesus Christ is Lord, Jesus Christ is Savior, Jesus Christ is King, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus, come again and fill the earth with the knowledge and understanding of who you are. Join me. (laughs) Tell the world this. Help them consider that this is true. This is our peace, knowing that the promises of God will be yes and yes. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we do not have a longing for peace that cannot be satisfied. That it is not the one thing in our life that we cannot find fulfillment of. That it will come. That it is coming. That you're proving it by your church day in and day out all over the world. That when the people of God come to harmony in their view and understanding of you that you have saved them by grace and not by works, that you have given them your spirit, that they do not have a spirit of the world, but a spirit of God, and they live into that spirit, that they can find harmony and peace in a way that the world can only long for, so that people might turn and ask us about our understanding of God. And that we tell them, give us boldness and courage this time of year to proclaim Jesus Christ as the bringer of peace, as the one hope for the world, as our only and everlasting source of joy, both now and forevermore. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Every week we come to the communion table, the Lord's Supper, and we remember that this peace did not come without war, that it did not come without blood, that it did not come without sacrifice, but those things came in the person of Jesus. That for our behalf, He warred with the wrath of God, consumed it, and took it upon himself so that our sin does not kill us, but we can be reborn just as Christ was reborn on the third day. So when you are ready and want to have fellowship with Jesus, you come to this table and you rip off a piece of the bread, the body of Christ broken for you, you dip it in this cup, the blood of Christ poured out for you, and you eat it as a way of symbolizing that you are uniting with Christ as the one and only way to peace that you are praying that God gives you a fuller understanding of who he is and what he has done through the Messiah Jesus, through the cross and through the resurrection. Pray for that, that your understanding would become full and that you would find peace and harmony in relationship and that our world would find peace and harmony and that they would turn to Jesus, not be scared that they've been wrong, but be so excited that they found truth and life and hope and joy and peace everlasting. After everyone's had a chance to participate, we'll pass around baskets. If you've got a Connect card, put it in there or a prayer coaster, put it in there, and you can pick those up on the side. If you need prayer, there'll be people over here on the side to pray with you. Maybe you need peace in this season. Maybe your life is full of war. Maybe your relationships are broken. We'd love to pray for you. You can also put your tithes and offerings in in those baskets as a way to take the message of Jesus to the city that needs it, to this nation that needs it, and to the ends of the world as we seek to take God's glory with us wherever we go. Come to this table. Have fellowship with your Savior, Jesus. Amen.